Takeout is cool, but delivery gets pricey. So, like a phoenix from the ashes, indoor dining is back at Forge Eatery. I use the analogy because the food is fire. It's a new approach to farm the table. No overalls, just dope food. Try my favorites, like the mushroom stew with pine nuts and ricotta, the cornmeal fried happy oysters, and the seared duck breast. Also, ask about the chocolate chip cookie tins. Mini chocolate chip cookies with a dusting of sea salt. Simply delicious. Head on over to ForgedEatery.com to check out the current menu options and make a reservation today. Forged is located at 3520 Chestnut Avenue in Hamden. Welcome to Getting to the Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee, and today's guest is director and curator of Walter Gallery, Joy Davis. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I like I like to come in with energy. I, I've listened to old episodes and I'm like, uh, I was tired that day. Uh, <laughs> and especially um, recently, I've been in front of the camera, so I've had to amp up my um, mannerisms and things like that. So, oh, yes. Um, so, again, I want to thank you for coming on. We talked a little bit before we got started, but I want to thank you for coming on to the podcast. This yeah. is um, I think this is going to be a treat. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I feel like I'm following in the footsteps of other really awesome people that you've had on the show. So I feel like I have a lot to live up to, but I know that I'm just going to be myself regardless. So, but there's been a lot of really cool people on the show. So if people, if this is your first episode listening, which I doubt, you should go back and listen to some amazing people. Well, thank you for that endorsement. That's that's great. It's not like it's a gun or anything in anyone's head. No, appreciate it. Uh, so this, describe your work and in the mission of, well, if there's a mission, because uh, as always seems a little weird, it seems super corporate when you say there's a mission, but describe your work and ultimately what uh, the Waller Gallery is about. Yeah, sure. Um, so Waller Gallery, I will describe my work. So I started out as the sole curator and director of the gallery, and we started in 2018. Um, so my work kind of morphs a little bit and I certainly am improving upon my work as I go, but I curate the uh, exhibitions unless I'm working, co-working with a, um, a artist or a, another curator. And we're certainly open to collaborating with folks. Um, I also, you know, did a lot of design. I, there's, a, I think, a question about art direction and I never thought of myself as that. Um, but certainly like work on the designs and everything like that. And now we've been able to build out to have like a volunteer staff and we've had interns over the years. So shout out to all the interns that have been, uh, I should have their names here. Maybe I'll look them up in a moment. Um, they're, they've been amazing. It's about four of them. Um, and they really helped build what we have now. So my role has been, is pretty much everything, um, exhibition design, um, the whole, the whole thing. So, and one of the reasons for that is because we're pretty small. Um, and especially at the beginning, if not like in the intermediary period, uh, galleries don't make a whole lot of money, but that being said, the mission of Waller gallery, um, one of the really big things for, for our mission is to make sure that we're allowing space or giving space to the artists we work with, um, oftentimes for a myriad of reasons. Um, and I could get into all of them, but there's just so many, um, artists aren't able to express themselves the way they want to within a space. And so we certainly, it's a skill we've had to hone over the years to make sure that artists are feeling supported in their work, uh, get to do what they want. Um, 
And so that's important for us. And the other part of our mission uh, is to be collaborative with the community to uh, seek sort of feedback uh, from them. And the third, which is the most important, uh, is working with Black folk and people of color. So that is extremely important to us. I, I left the uh, best for last for me. Um, it's really important to me to be supporting these, these artists um, from these communities because oftentimes they don't get to show work. Um, it also happens in the scholarly community. So um, at certain junctures in our uh, short history so far, uh, we've included scholars of color and especially black scholars, I should be more specific, <laughs> black <laughs> scholars in our programming um, and thinking about our work. So uh, it's, it's very important to me to, to do that. Yeah, that, that's that's great to hear. And, and I've had a uh, had conversations with a, a few curators about just how, especially we're in February right now, how important it is to have that that true representation, to have not only the work of black creators, but also the fingerprints of the people behind the scenes that are working because they're there has to be, and this word's been escaped me a lot, but it has to be purposeful as to when one is maybe putting together a ex exhibition, like how am I going to arrange this? What's going to be the order? What type of artist? What is, what is going to be the theme there? And it also depends. So this is the one that everybody forgets and that is your audience. So who's your audience? Our audience is very depending on the artists we um, present in this space. There are other spaces where um, some people might have different opinions about how the work is arranged or which artists are highlighted. Sometimes that's due to like things like racism uh, and bigotry, but sometimes that actually has to do, and based on their audience, just to be honest. And then some of that actually has to do with the audience itself that's coming in that um, absorbs the uh, information on the walls, if you will. So it yeah. really does depend. Um, and of course, when you get into museums, it becomes even more important, but um, in galleries too, like who's going to be buying? And we have an approach where it's not just about buying, it's about telling the story of the artwork. So, you know, we have to ride like a really, um, a really, really thin line between those two things. So I'm curious yeah. with the, the process of selecting artists or artists that you will work with, what kind of traits are you looking for from the artists or from the work? So that is every question. I feel like I come from a like art admin, art historical background. So you always say it depends, um, <laughs> which I think is a cop out, but I had to shout out to that very common thing that we all say, um, <laughs> but it really, it really does depend. But for us, if um, artists have come to us with proposals for uh, concepts and ideas for shows in which um, we usually co-curate with them, Sure. So that's really exciting, right? Because they already have an idea, it's formulated, um, and they have a vision. Sometimes we'll see artists and uh, think that they go really well with other artists that we are thinking about. Um, mm -hmm. And I'll say me, because since I'm usually making that part of the decision. And so it really, again, does depend. But those are like the practical ways. And then sometimes we'll do a call. We did a call for in our first year uh, for a show called Strength in Practice. And I believe we had over 17 artists I think it was over 30, maybe 26 or 30 works of art. And so, uh, you know, I would love to go back to that. It is a very um, big process to <laughs> literally process all that artwork and uh, think how they work together on a theme. But um, it's something we're interested in. So those are the three ways that we interact with artists. Um, 
And I will say to be transparent, when we started out in our first year, we didn't necessarily know which artists we wanted to work with in the city or, and we were finding our identity as far as, um, who we thought would work well in our space, because it's a very bizarre type of space. It's not just a, a, a white box. In some cases it is, I guess, but it's not really that traditional uh, white box. So I worked with some of my friends to begin with, some of them local, some of them uh, national and international and um, recommendations from folks. So we went, we immediately tried to break out of that by doing strength and practice, but just to be transparent, that's how we started out. Totally. You start from somewhere and you, you kind of find it as you're, you're moving along as how you're going to like craft it, how you're going to present things and like, really, what are you doing? And that's, and that's what it sounded like to me. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's see, let's see, let's see. Could you, do you have any surprising um, facts about the Waller Gallery? Just something that just, just pops up that, you know, someone has like, I'm uninitiated. I know nothing about the gallery. What's something that's like surprising? Space. We'd love to have you. Um, we have a, a show. Okay. Well, if it's coming out in February, we have a show open until March 6th uh, called Con um, Contextual Exposure. Uh, and I'm really excited about it. It's our first show back in the space where we are open to the public by appointment. Um, and so you should definitely come and check that out, Rob. And if there's a surprising thing, so we live upstairs from our gallery space, which kind of blows people's minds. Some people are like, yeah, that's practical. That makes sense. And some sometimes, so I don't want to make it seem like it's the most uh, surprising thing for some, but for a lot of people that's surprising um, that we're able to kind of manage these spaces. And uh, it's a, that's a work in progress, but like, that's, that's how our house is set up our house slash gallery. Um, <laughs> What's another thing that's surprising? Oh, we keep changing our space quite a bit. Okay. Um, and we, we slowly make upgrades. We have been. Um, and hopefully when, if I come back on the show or if you are, if we stay in touch, I can let you know if we get funding. Um, okay. Cause we're, we're uh, planning for funding. So hopefully fingers crossed we get it so that we can make even more adjustments and uh, additions and improvements on the space. So sometimes that surprises people, especially people that have come before. There's like, oh, you did the floor different. Oh my gosh, you like did this whole thing. Like, you know, so that's, yeah. that's fun. Um, and we're mostly doing it ourselves. So that makes it more rewarding. Um, for totally. certain. Yeah. Yeah. It would be great. Just when that, you get that funding and then you have like a boom, boom room or a lounge or just something to chill in. And it's just like, this is amazing. Where are the cocktails? That's, yeah. that's the experience. I wish right? we had a liquor license, but we do not. Um, yeah, that's a whole other thing. Um, a lot of people requested, I wouldn't say requested of me, but they suggested to me that I should open a, like a music venue or a performance venue of some kind. And I immediately thought just alone, the liquor license and security and really wanting to make sure the space was safe. Mm -hmm. um, both like emotionally safe, um, since I have friends that are queer, um, yeah. friends that ha are part of the disability community. And so like how, how to do that. And like, I was like, I don't think I'm actually capable to do this in earnest and, mm -hmm. and complete that mission. So it was like, I think a gallery is more manageable. We do do some music on occasion, but it's not, um, we're, we don't have like shows, but that's, yeah. you know, that's a really huge consideration. I think, um, in 2021 and beyond is like how to make these venues that 
um, especially if you think about like the crown or um, on the other spectrum, like Autobar and like how you have to create safe spaces. So um, we're, it's, we're still, again, a work in progress, but I think it would be even harder doing a music, personally for me, doing a music venue. No, I, I, I agree with you. Uh, so let's see. Um, so let's, let's talk about, do you, so do you, do you have any pieces like of your own or that of your own personal collection that are like super valuable or super important to you? And how All can of I get them are valuable to, to me? I don't know if I've, um, you know, my collection is weird. I will say this. The reason I cut you off is like, I don't want to talk about like the value of the artwork. I don't know. Um, some of, some of the artwork is, um, you know, that I bought early on in some artist's career. Um, some of them are my friends. So it's not, I'm not like a high-end buyer is what I'll say. Um, do I have pieces that are kind of worth over a thousand? I don't believe so. Uh, I okay. keep it pretty low, but I will say that they are extremely valuable to me or I wouldn't have purchased them or consumed them or been, you know, I mean, some of them are gifts. A couple of them have been gifts. But for the most part, you know, they're, they're things that I collected specifically because I, I wanted them in my life. And um, yeah. I thought they were not only just important to me, but had something important to say. So I think I can kind of grab a lot. So I'm thinking of like a cat burglar situation. <laughs> you kept it vague about the value. I appreciate that, Joy. But also. Exactly. I don't want people. Uh. We're already so uh, exposed because we you know, have an open space, like an open uh, public space in our house. I'm not yeah. trying to like, you know, but there really <laughs> isn't, I, you know, I don't want to, and I also don't want to diminish some of these artists since buying their work, their prices have definitely gone up. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean the work I have is valuable. <laughs> and I think that that is the allure of the art world is that you can find that gem that you yeah. bought for 15 or you bought at like a print fair for 500 and now it's worth 15,000, but that's not necessarily always the reality of art in the art world because value fluctuates in the art world uh, almost more aggressively than in like the stock market. So it, it, <laughs> there's I mean, that's been some, recent like, some top fifties, right? Okay. Like your, your uh, Dutch masters, your like uh, classical, certain um, classical and archeological work, um, Costa paintings, which is something I study is definitely like in there, but um, it's not everybody, I guess. Okay. <laughs> there's an understanding that if it's 50, it means it's 50,000. And it's like, no, not really. That's not how it works. Um, <laughs> so, so in that vein, uh, if, and this might be, this might be hard as I'm reading back over the question, but I still think I could be asked if you could just add anything pie in the sky could only be one thing though. If you can add anything to your, your personal collection, mm. what would it be? Like just something that you've seen though, something that you've seen. Cause that, I think that would simplify it because it's it like, yeah, anything. It. Um, it would make it, it makes it kind of harder because I think, I don't, it's so hard. It's such a hard decision. I really, so, and then it's like, and then I have to like name drop. So I don't want to do that. Let me try to find something neutral. See, I'm coming with the hard hitting questions right now. So hard. Um, let's go some of these questions. Oh, okay. That's a local example. Um, so I'll go local. I feel like that's very neutral and I really do love her work. Um, it's extraordinary. 
Um, and it has, again, it has a story to tell, not to say, but there's like abstract art that doesn't necessarily have a story, but it has something to say. It's a little bit different, but her work, um, through her multimedia work, through her print work, through the work she's doing right now and working on currently, I'm just like in awe. And the scale is just, it's like lifelike. And it's of, of, um, I don't know if you're familiar with her work. I, I don't want to insult your intelligence here. Oh, no, I can look this up, though. I mean, it's yeah, all the way. Um, <laughs> you know, the way that she creates figures and the way that she does on the scale that she does it um, is extraordinary. And I do think that she could do it in different types of scales and like, you wow. know, um, are you looking now? I am. I am. I just did a I just did a Google search and I'm just on images and I'm going to keep this up. Yeah, it's so I'm that is a good neutral um, any artist who I haven't bought from that I've shown, um, is also on that list. And there's a lot of them that I haven't bought yet because I try to be, I try to ride that line, uh, <laughs> but there's who, who else? Um, McKinley, uh, McKinley Wallace, the third is one, yeah. Ada Pinkston, who we're showing right now. Um, but yeah, anyone, anyone that we've shown in the space, I've, if I haven't bought their work, like I've wanted to buy their work. So, um, yeah, I know that's really neutral, but like, if I go far out, like, I don't, I don't know. No, no, no. That's like a, a good stamp of approval. Cause it's like, you know, when, when, when people do this kind of endorsement thing, and I think that that's where we're at when it comes to, it's not like, I like what you do thumbs up. It's literally I'm endorsing what you do. And you know, if you're wanting to have someone's work in your gallery and having like, no, I would definitely buy your work too. That's a, a good, that's, that's a real endorsement. That's a true endorsement. Like that's back potentially financially and just having it in your space. It's something about having someone's work in your space. Absolutely. And, but I would also say that just because I wouldn't buy it doesn't keep me from showing work in the space because sometimes we'll show work that is different than what the artist is known for or because they're like exploring a new medium and we want to show them or they wanted to share or show I'm talking about a person in particular if they're listening show a certain <laughs> type of work and they haven't and they feel like this is the space that they feel comfortable or safe showing this sort of work so um all big compliments to that's a huge compliment to me um, so it's not always just, oh, I would buy their work because sometimes people do performance. So there's, it's yeah. hard way to buy into that. Um, of course, a ticket sale doesn't, doesn't hurt. Um, or folks that work in digital, but they do print in our space. So it's just, you know, I don't want to make people think that like only people I would buy and therefore is the only valid kind of artwork out there. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. It really is based off of, um, consumer taste, um, and kind of the the type of artwork or medium too. So like I said, it's the value of art is so uh, finicky. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, outside of where you're, you're, outside of Waller and outside of Walters, mm -hmm. uh, what are your favorite museums? Ooh, okay. The Denver Art Museum. I haven't been there in a while, so I don't know if anything's gone wrong over there. I really, I really enjoy that museum a lot. Um, it looks a little bit like an amusement park a little, um, but it is <laughs> definitely a museum that has a really interesting, everything from a fashion history museum. They have, I think their only intact series of costas in the country, which mm -hmm. 
most people aren't interested in that, but I happen to be. And they have a wonderful kids um, and education section. And I don't have kids myself, but I, I often think that it's um, pretty amazing if a museum can pull that off uh, and pull it off well and make kids feel safe in the space um, and like nurture their growth and development. So um, that is that is one. What's another? I used to like SF MoMA. Um, and I like the Chicago, uh, the Chicago contemporary. I feel like I messed up that name. Let me look it up. Just slander it out here. <laughs> I mean, I just call places like, yeah, the place I saw that, that picture, you know, I don't, <laughs> I, I'll botch the name sometimes and uh, I get accused of it. I, I know it happens. Yeah. MCA, the Museum okay. of Contemporary Art Chicago. Um, what else? Who else do I like? I'm, pl I'm planning an art trip based on your suggestions here, just so you know. Oh, I can set you an itinerary, but those are like on the top of my <laughs> favorites. Because um, I've been to each one of these cities and I yeah. like I wasn't um, dipped into it. Like I was kind of one of those uh, failed art kids. And <laughs> I was just like, ah, I guess I'll be a podcaster or something. And uh, I really didn't dive too far into it. And like, I want to go back to Chicago. So knowing that, what's the name of that place again? Just so we get it right. Oh, Chicago. Yeah. Uh, Museum of Contemporary Art, Chicago. Thank you. Uh, so <laughs> I can go there and check that <laughs> And uh, definitely Denver. Because like before COVID hit, I was going to, it was like two, it was two museums, two or three museums in like the Nashville area that were on my list. And just because I didn't go, I'm blanking on them. But it's like, when I replan that trip to Nashville, I'm going to go back through my emails. It's like, all right, it's, yes. a, it's a black history, you know, like museum there. Uh, it's a music museum. There's a bunch of food. So I'm going to do that. But also I just got to get culture too. It's I, well, I think it's important, but I don't think it's a requirement. I grew up going to museums mm -hmm. um, and really like my parents, especially my mom and my grandmother were like very much advocates of just exploring art uh, yeah. and performance so art of any medium and it didn't always have to be going to like go to free days like it was never necessarily um um a class-based assessment they just knew that that isn't necessarily something that's taught in schools predominantly mm -hmm. so that was something that they they pushed um so and i guess it is a little class-based but i i am really excited in the direction that museums are moving now um whether <laughs> whether some some folks are kicking and screaming on the other hand a lot of people are really pushing for um there to be like a flattening uh, kind of class barrier coming into museums and i think to a certain extent it'll always exist but there's there's something really great um uh great great about the try right like there's something really yeah. fantastic about that because for a very long time museums were like we don't have a problem um, <laughs> as with most actually cultural institutions um that are out there what's another i'm now i'm trying to think of more museums there's pam in uh miami okay that's that's a double play right there and miami okay keep going <laughs> there's a lot there's i mean there's a lot of art for folks that don't know there's a lot of art in miami and both galleries and museums and a lot of um really great points of access to different cultures in miami um mm -hmm. one of them being the i think it's called the north miami museum the other um is i think it's the haiti american museum 
Okay. And so there's these other, and they do some pretty great, there's also a bunch of great contemporary art um, spaces to uh, like, I, there's an ICA uh, in Miami. <clears throat> so it's, it, there's other ways to engage with contemporary art, but there's just other ways to get culturally immersed um, and like on a rotate ro- rotation and a rotative schedule to like learn more. So um, if you go to Miami, I, I have a lot of suggestions for there. Noted, um, noted. In New York, there's like a lot of them, but I, when I lived there, I went so often that I couldn't pick one. So I'll just say, go to New York. Um, <laughs> go to New York, just enjoy it. Great. Uh, the Museum of the City of New York is great. Uh, those are history based, but they, they do pretty great work over there at those two places. Uh, the Brooklyn Museum, of course. I would say the Met, but I feel like that's just, everybody goes to the Met. It doesn't matter if I tell you to go or not. Um, you know, I'll, I'll go to the Met then. I mean, I've, I've never been. That's like a whole day if you go through the whole museum. Um, I mean, the, the, the closest thing that, that I had, I, I went there, I went to, I don't know where the hell I was at. I, I went to, um, I guess it was Queens, and then we just got on the train, and it was just pizza and the High Line, and that's literally was my weekend. And it was like during a Puerto Rican Day Parade weekend, and I was like, oh, it's just so much culture, it's overload. Um, but generally for me, like part of any traveling I do, and I think because of like, like COVID and how like traveling just feels super weird and un- unsafe for the most part to me, mm-hmm. I think I I'm feeling I'm starving because I've interviewed so many people and learned like just through conversations about, you know, what they're, they're talking about and their suggestions. It's like, I need to go. So yeah. I think like the last like museum I went to was like, like outside of like locally was probably Geffen Contemporary in like LA. Oh and, wow! You know I've never been to the Geffen. Uh, I've walked past it, uh, but I've never actually been into the Geffen before. So I mean, I certainly would not call myself a museum head. So I'm yeah. like, while I study art history, I'm definitely aware of more museums than I've actually been to. Um, <laughs> the, it's like a constant learning when I go into a new museum because I'm like, wow, they did it in this way because we don't really uplift museums like that like we do but we don't like they're not household names unless like a celebrity or a tv show kind of highlights them frequently (laughs) so um it's not like you have like this consolidated sense of like what these museums look like and they all kind of look different from one another um in a certain sense unlike galleries where they kind of even us having a house gallery it kind of looks very similar to other house galleries, right? Um, we try to add our own pizzazz, but it does have um, it does have a similar footprint, right? So it's like visually, it looks very similar. Um, but museums, you know, their budgets are ginormous, or uh, even even in, at the time of their inception. So they're kind of these grandiose buildings, um, and I wouldn't say architectural marvels, but they do kind of house uh, uh, people and yeah. stuff, <laughs> artwork. Um, <laughs> you know, on a regular basis. So it's just, it's like kind of mind boggling museums. So I have a few more questions and I'll give you back the rest of your evening because yeah, who wants to talk all day? Um, I did, it's a problem. (laughs) So let's see, let's see, let's see. Um, So I'm gonna toss that one out. I'm gonna give you the the very, very painful Baltimore question. Uh, So let's see. What, as a director and a, a curator wearing kind of like both of those hats, which mm-hmm. skills, like let's say top two on both, which skills do you say that, would you say that you 
rely on the most and what skills do you feel like you're developing? Like, okay, I could do better there. Okay. Which skills do I rely on the most? Um, a general sense, I will say of customer service, um, I guess art direction in a certain sense, again, a word I didn't put to, but I will use your word here. Um, to kind of just pile all that together. Sure. Um, things to work on. There's a lot that we have left to work on. Um, our space is not ADA compliant. So that is something that I'm constantly thinking about. Um, we have not always made everyone feel safe in our space. So, but we've made a lot of people feel safe in our space. So it's an important thing for us to continue to check ourselves on. Um, like long after we might hear someone say, I had a great moment, you made me feel safe. That doesn't mean that's that's a you like that's a monolithic experience. So we always want to make sure that we're be, making people feel safe in our space. We can't guarantee a safe space, but we can definitely try and continue to do that and improve. Um, let's see. I would. Say I, I appreciate that. That's an, honest, well. that's an honest answer too. Oh yeah, I mean, but I think you have to be honest if you're going to. Um, constantly be working on it. Yeah. Um, if you're not honest, then you probably don't think it's a problem. Or if someone reframes that narrative for you uh, without you actually knowing the truth or not, then like, have you? Are you really changing? Are you like you know? Um, but there's one other thing that I wanted to. Oh yeah, visibility. So like we, I'm constantly trying to push the artist, but you know, it's it's a work in progress, and I feel like we have. Um, a lot of motivation and there's a lot of motivation in the art world and in the art field to pay attention to black artists and artists of color in a way that has not existed before. So many of the gallerists that are currently working or have come before me have really had an uphill battle in establishing the value mm -hmm. of black art and artists of color. I say black art first because, um, it, it's been a huge uphill battle and, uh, <clears throat> and it's something we're still working towards, but, um, I just wanted to highlight that cause it's, it's, it looks really great now, right? Like yeah. all you hear about all the auction sales and all of that, but it was truly a lot of hard work by gallerists and dealers and art historians and artists specifically, um, to really build, uh, a legacy of black art in, in the States specifically. Um, so I, I can't kind of push past like us yeah. having more it being, it was so much harder even 10 years ago to do, to do that work. And for me to even set up um, a space where I'm solely focusing on, or at least 95% focusing on black artists and artists mm -hmm. of color. So um, it's a well, legacy we want to continue, but I would love to build on that. Then that, then I, that just gave me a, another question then. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and this, and this is going to be challenging cause I, I, I got to ask the question. Uh, so with, with the black artists, local black artists, what have you, um, who, 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 who are a few that we should just kind of keep an eye on. It's like, all right, this person's got some dope stuff coming soon. This person, they're just knocking out some like great, they're in this great position. They have some great stuff coming out. Like who, who should we have on our radar? And it's not to exclude anyone or forget anyone, but just like just some names or what have you that come to mind just off the, off the top of your head. Man. Okay. So off the top of my head, and I'm also going to read some of my notes, but, and we're talking about black artists here. Um, yeah. So 
I think I've name dropped a few of them already, but I'll rename them. Um, some of them are in our show right now. So uh, Rebecca Marimutu, for certain, uh, who's in our show at the moment. Um, Ada Pinkston, who, if no one knows who she is, you definitely should by, by the time that we uh, adjourn this podcast. Um, I've mentioned Latoya Hobbs. I've mentioned McKinley Wallace III. Um, uh, anything that Abdu Ali touches is basically marvelous. And while they might, might not do something that's traditionally visual art, it's definitely visual art. So, um, just follow, uh, that magnificent person, um, and, uh, they will lead you on a journey of art that you've never known. <laughs> um, there's an artist that's mostly works in visuals on Instagram called Afro velvet. And I feel like they are, they are it uh, in a way, or at least in the next couple of years, I think they're really defining their art practice. Uh, who else? Latoya Peebles is a great muralist and does a lot of community-based work. So I think that's exceptional. And we shared... It might be some uh, Afro velvet at my uh, girlfriend's house. I believe she bought some work from her recently. See, already out here. Um, and she's she's very much connected to... Uh, the community in a way. Um, Diamond Dixon, also a person that both does visual art, but similar to Abdu Ali, also does um, community, and she more leans on community-based projects, but um, anything she touches is pretty great. Um, and there's so many more. I've missed half. <laughs> um, and I know that we can't just spend the whole podcast with me naming names, but there's actually even more people um, that are doing community and art-based work that is just exceptional because they're figuring out ways in which to give audience, well, give the audience a voice. Um, uh, Shane McCoy has done a series called West Baltimore Ruins, and that is a um, art uh, an art project dedicated to West Baltimore. And so there's just there's just so many people doing some great great stuff. Um, if people don't know who Devin Allen is, which I don't. I don't know how you, how you do not. Uh, but yeah, he's coming out with, I think a shoe line now, but he's, he's a photographer, um, by trade. So I think I've, there's so many other people. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I'm still thinking of more names, but I will stop. Maybe I will come up with a way to have like credits. Right. And just like, I just need that whole list in there. And it's just me just dictating Devin Allen. Yes. <laughs> Almost like someone's graduating. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, so here's the last question I have. And again, before I even go to, I want to thank you again for coming onto the pod. Um, this has been a treat. Uh, so I'm curious to learn about your take um, on the, the Baltimore art scene, just in a very high 3000 foot kind of view, like how would you describe it to someone that's again, just uninitiated and say, Oh, Baltimore doesn't have any art. And it's like, Oh, let me tell you something. It's had art since the, I mean, it was one of the jazz hubs. So, I mean, it's, it's been a part of art and performance for such a long time. So that's number one. Um, so put respect on the name. Um, on the Please name. do. Please do. Um, <laughs> but I do think that there's been dips and lulls, but there's art always been, I know that the artists that have since moved to New York, but are from the city have mentioned times in which, especially in the nineties in the eighties, um, in the early two thousands, um, even though we're kind of still there, um, but in the earlier, earlier period, um, of the 21st century, I guess, um, there was a lot of different movements, especially for, 
um, for black artists and they were creating it in themselves. But I will say being that I was a part of, um, you know, a predominantly like white, uh, art and music scene for a lot, because I didn't understand that there, they were actively being black people were actively being kept out that like, you know, that was a problem, but I now see, um, that being turned completely upside down, which is fantastic. Um, and that's due to a lot of labor by black folks. So, um, I'm, I, that makes me extremely proud to be a part of the, that community. Um, and it makes me very grateful to, to them. I feel like I went way off the question, but no, no, you didn't. That's, that's um, if yeah. that's a full thought, that's a thought there. And yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. I, I, I really love the city. I, I really love the art scene and I, I'm glad it's, I'm really, really glad that, um, it's mostly, it's mostly black. It's definitely still white. There's definitely still uh, spaces for white artists. Um, yeah. there continues to be, but I'm so glad that there are, um, you know, people pushing against that. Yeah. And, and it has to be, I, I think not like lip service change of like, we want to do this. It's like, are you doing something that's substantive? Are you doing something that is like meaningful? And right. I, I think that that's a big piece of it because I, I heard some really interesting stats on the number of black curators and the number of uh, percentage of like black art in, in galleries and things like that. And I was like, mm -hmm. Oh, single digits I hear. And uh, in the country. Yeah. Yeah. And um, seeing that we kind of are a, like moving against that is is great. And I think it that needs to be illuminated because it's a black city. And it I think the art coming out of here needs to be representative of that um, just in a in an equitable sort of way, not just, oh, well, everything is black that's coming out of there. But in a way that makes sense, if we have a city that's comprised of over 60 percent and it's like, Funding's not going to certain, you know, folks or what have you that are representative of who's in the city. You know, I, I don't want to make it seem as though like racism is over. Like I'm not trying to no. um, paint that picture like, oh yeah, it's such a black, like it's still involved. Yeah. The funding is poor. Mm -hmm. The, um, the collectors are not collecting black art in the city. Mm -hmm. um, and they could be of any race. So right. I'm not going to call anybody out, but like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like they aren't, um, going out there and purchasing at a rate that is sustainable and equitable as to what you were saying. But again, that is changing. It used to be, I think much worse, yeah. but that, that is changing and more artists are getting visibility, which is important. I think tokenizing happens a lot. Um, especially in the black community, but also in, uh, people of color with people of color, um, not to lump them all together. I've just seen this multiple times, especially oh, totally. gallery representation. They'll have, um, a token, um, uh, POC or a token black person. Like it just on their roster, no uh -huh. others. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, that's, that is probably obvious to, to some in the art world, but I just think it's important to, to illustrate that there needs to be more, uh, of us, <laughs> more black folks in the market and being, and even if they don't buy into the traditional capital, a art market, um, being, having the visibility to show their work, express themselves, um, in a way they want to without getting kind of shut out or silenced. Yeah. It's like in like my, my realm that I know of, and I'm developing and having taste. It's like, I, I realize I understand art in some ways a little more than 
an average novice, I suppose, or what have you. Like, oh, I kind of understand what they're going for here. Or, oh, I, I see what they did. That's great. That's great technique, technical. And it says something to me and all of these different things. And and it's while, while still acknowledging I'm a novice, novice. And what I lean into when it comes to like race is always like pop culture. And I still see it. And it's like, oh, representation matters. I was like, yeah, you kind of double dipped right there. You have a like person of color, queer. I was like, huh can't be two people of color. can't be two black people. It has to be these different archetypes. And yes. And I just sit there and I lose my mind on it. And it's like, it's very weird, right? It's like, you're trying to check all the boxes within one person. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where, um, I was going to say the idea, but it exists, but the ethnic, uh, ethnically ambiguous, Mm -hmm. um, the tension with, being uh with with people being presented on tv uh ads um any sort of media as uh, ethnically ambiguous um because that it's perceived in most cases it could be true um it's really hard to tell that's part of the challenge and the the problematic nature of it right is that we don't know the actual intentions of every individual and it's really frustrating because you're like it's obviously this it's people are absent-minded in media and in fashion and yes. I've just learned that. And it's, it's infuriating. It's more, it's, it's infuriating. Um, but yeah, that's where that tension comes from is because you're trying to check. It's like, why can't everyone kind of just, and also why draw attention to that as a plot point when you really just wanted visibility? It's like, very, it's very challenging. Right. Um, I think anyone that is of a marginalized community, um, uh, who is black POC or a part of the disability community should have center stage. That is not, I'm not saying that they shouldn't. I just think sometimes it's like, they're not seen as people they're seen as a prop. And that makes me feel really icky. Um, yes. It makes me feel really icky. It's like, why can't they just have a general storyline? Maybe they can be a fantastic person or maybe they can just be like a kid going to school. Like, I, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's so complicated, but that's outside of the realm of art. It's like media <laughs> in general that like really is hell bent on like uh, exotifying somebody. You have to. I want have no them, choice. It's just. I want them to exotify chunky black guys that are super tall and wear glasses so I can get roles. And then I, <laughs> from the inside, I will affect change. But yeah, you know, when you talk about representation, I'm like, where the hell am I at? <laughs> it, I mean, but that's, I mean, that's true. Um, the only guy I can think of that really does anything um, that isn't like super big and doesn't have to necessarily manage like their person in the same way. Right. Cause they're just so rich or they're known. Like I think of, um, Forrest Whitaker, who was like a heavier set man. <laughs> I think he, I, I'm, I don't know. People have look at me sideways. I think he's kind of a, an attractive man. Uh, that doesn't mean anything, but like, I enjoy seeing him on screen. Others I've seen him use as a prop is all I'm going to say in some yeah, films yeah. I feel. Um, but like he doesn't have to necessarily worry in the same way as someone starting out in uh, in the industry, uh, whatever industry that is, <laughs> media yeah, totally. industry. So the only person I can think of is Kevin on stage, who also kind of is a little, I guess, out of the realm of just the general person in media. Mm-hmm. But like he's very, very open about his like, I think he says he's badly made or something or poorly made something ridiculous that I don't necessarily agree with. I know he's joking, but I'm just like, "Mm." um, but I think he says he's badly made and he's the only guy that I can really, I really know of that doesn't just use it as a joke is also trying to be like, this is who I am. Um, he also makes jokes about it, 
but yeah, it's definitely a thing. Like heavier set black men do not get roles. And if they do get roles, it's like a comedy thing. Right. Which is fine. Right. Again. But then sometimes it gets exotified versus just you being funny and being a person in the role. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like your body has to also be a part of that joke. Um, Yeah. We can't help but exotify. And it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's exhausting is what I'll say. They will, we'll leave on that. I feel like we'll be returning to several other conversations because this is, this has been great. Uh, I want to give you an opportunity to shamelessly plug anything. I like to do that with every guest plug away. Okay. So go to Waller, wallergallery.com. That's where you'll find all information about the gallery. Um, you can also check us out on Instagram at Waller gallery and on Facebook, same thing. Our newest show is Contextual Exposure. It is a great group show between uh, Noel Puello, Rebecca Marimutu, and Ada Pinkston. And so I want you to check out their work. They have uh, Instagrams. We should be li- those should be linked on our Instagram and on our website. Um, and just check out the work and really enjoy their work. Um, I have finished up a lot of projects, most of which I can't either talk about or like they're so far away that like I don't want to talk about them. Um, And they're small projects, but I'm just I'm staying active out here. Um, And you should also go and check out the Walters.org slash events, because that's where I do. You'll see my work outside of Waller Gallery um, and doing events there. So uh, go check those out as well. There you have it, folks. Check it out follow Instagram, all of that good stuff. So for Joy Davis, I am Rob Lee saying that there is art in and around Baltimore. Just got to look for it.